You're listening to Remote Possibilities, a podcast on the intersection of technology, society, and education, brought to you by MarketScale. Now here's your host, Kevin Hogan. Hello, and welcome to the latest episode of Remote Possibilities, the podcast that explores the promise and the perils of distance learning. I'm your host, Kevin Hogan, and I'm glad you found us. With me today is Carol Ribeiro. Carol is President and Chief Executive Officer of VHS Learning. She has over 20 years experience in online education management and systems development. Prior to becoming president in 2015, she served as a chief operating officer and was responsible for overall management of operations at VHS Learning. That included school services, finance and accounting, technology services and support, and human resources. She has designed and delivered online courses and has been with VHS Learning since its inception. VHS began as virtual high school in 1996, last century, as part of a technology grant from the Department of Education. In 2001, the company was established as a nonprofit. It sets the standard for quality online education, uh, and the mission is to prepare students for college, career, and life through supportive instructor-led online and blended classroom experience. Carol, thank you so much for joining us today. It's my pleasure, Kevin. Happy to be here. And as we were mentioning before the recording started, this is really kind of um, your time for VHS from 1996 <laughs> to now. This is what you've been uh, training for your whole life, right? Oh, my goodness. We could have never predicted this, that's for sure. But yes, I suppose that's uh, that's one way to put it. It's uh, it's certainly time for online learning, that's yeah. for sure. Let me ask you, the uh, when was the moment, uh, I'll assume it was sometime in, in February or March, uh, where you realized that this was something different? Well, I tell you, in March... You know, we have always, because we've always been in in online education, we've always been remote, uh, it might not have seemed a big change for us. But what happened was we, in March, realized when we started to hear from so many of our schools, you know, a cry for help, that this was not a temporary thing, that they needed emergency assistance. Um, We have worked with many, many schools over the years. We've worked currently with about 650 schools across 40 states and 44 countries. So lots of different types of schools, lots of different students and experiences. You know, there are some are rural, some are in inner cities, but we were hearing a consistent message that, you know, oh my goodness, you know, we need help. How can we uh, train our teachers? How can we transition to this online space? Because this might not be a two or three week thing. This might be months and help. What do we do? (laughs) So when we started hearing those cries, we knew um, this is something that might last for a bit. And while 650 different schools, you see a range then from those that are, are, are quite innovative to maybe some who were really left uh, flat-footed. Um, any particular insights or innovations that you've seen from these folks uh, as they kind of build the fl- plane while they're flying it? Well, I tell you, the teachers and the schools are just doing the best that they can do in a difficult situation. I know that um, we have heard that from schools that were already working, you know, in online learning in that space, it's been much easier because at least for the students that were having, you know, a, a program at their school, they had some continuity. 
uh, they f didn't feel the disruption that students felt if they were strictly, you know, working face to face. Um, but the teachers have done, you know, a great job of of trying to, as you say, build the plane as they're flying it. Um, I do think there has been some confusion out there, uh, and a lot of folks confuse remote learning with online learning. And and to to me uh, and to many in in our industry, it is it is not the same thing at all. And I think there's a bit of a reeducation that needs to take place with regard to what online learning is. And for us, you know, the things that we at VHS Learning offer are online learning experiences, true online classrooms that were designed as online classrooms from the start, which is much much different than say a remote learning experience that's an emergency stopgap where you have a teacher that's essentially teaching a lesson that uh, they could have te taught face to face but they're basically teaching it through zoom let's say or some other synchronous method and they're still lecturing it's very very different um, so what we're trying to do is help teachers and schools understand that there's another option and that option is a, a self-contained online classroom where the teacher does what they do best where they are at the center of of the learning and they're providing feedback and they're they're deepening the understanding for students but they don't have to reinvent the wheel they don't have to build the plane <laughs> while they're flying it you know that's it's it's absolutely critical it's a different way of of looking at things that it there can be this um you know collaboration and communication which let's face it right now that's more important than ever the social emotional aspect of things is more important than ever so how do you get that well you get that by designing the experience from the start to be online and then incorporating that you know, highly trained teacher in, in the center of it, assisting the students. Well, let's go a little deeper into that because that's, that's really um, fascinating. I know there's a lot of talk about the difference between synchronous and asynchronous. Um, when the pandemic began, it was right around uh, the school breaks. So uh, the asynchronous seemed to be the first uh, catchword uh, of the day, which basically was giving kids homework to do and to scan it and send it back, you know, in, in the worst case scenarios. Uh, folks who were using your product was probably a little bit more of a, uh, a sophisticated setup. And then people got into the synchronous was, was basically Zoom calls uh, and Microsoft Teams and, and Google Hangouts. Um, so go into a little deeper on the, the differences between asynchronous and synchronous and how VHS uh, sees those, those phrases. Well, there's definitely value in lots of different methods, right? So we don't want to say, okay, asynchronous is better than synchronous or vice versa. But for us, asynchronous means that you have a classroom that has, for example, all of your lessons already created, all of your learning objectives, uh, your discussions, prompts, and your assignments, your lab exercises, everything is there. The, the class is designed. The teacher comes in and what they're doing is they're facilitating discussions, they're providing feedback, they're grading work. But the, the key part for us, and so for us when you mention asynchronous initially is sending homework off and kids do it and then come back, that's not at all what it is to us. To us it's that they are part of a robust classroom experience that occurs in a paced way, meaning that you have, for example, a semester-length course that is, say, 15 weeks, and a st 
the students, now keep in mind, I, I'll go back to the point that we are a nationwide program that has been in many different time zones for, since our inception. So we have always had to incorporate um, different students coming into our courses at different times, but still building a sense of community and collaboration. And so we are truly, truly, I, I say that without reservation, we are truly expert in that because we have done it for 25 years. So we know what works and we know what doesn't work. So when you have students coming from all different time zones into a classroom and have that diverse you know, global classroom experience, you learn how to create group work and exercises where they can, for example, provide peer feedback or do a lab assignment where each creates a different component and then come, they come together to share that. You can do that in an asynchronous environment. Asynchronous doesn't mean isolating. It means finding ways to bring students together in a way that uh, allows them to work when it's best for them, which we know is so challenging now when you have a Zoom call and you have a teacher that perhaps, you know, has children at home that they're trying to take care of or students have other responsibilities in the home. Well, how can you keep that engagement and have those students working together but at the same time, allowing you know them the flexibility to meet these other responsibilities. So that's essentially what we do: is we bring the students together. We have these lab exercises and other other things where they can collaborate, but they do it. Some might be logging in at night, some during the day. The discussions are asynchronous, meaning that you know you might post something, somebody else posts something an hour or two later, and continues on. Why is that good? Because it helps students to reflect. It helps them to think about what they want to say. It ensures, by the way, that every student has to participate. So when you have a synchronous situation, one of the negatives I think about synchronous uh, learning, for example, like a Zoom classroom, is there's always going to be that case where you have students that don't want to speak up, that don't want to put themselves out there, right? They wait to be called on. In an asynchronous classroom by design, the teacher is is fostering that, you know, engagement from that student. So they feel a little bit more comfortable, you know, uh, stepping up participating. And by the way, they have to because their assignment is that you are in this group, uh, you know, group assignment with four other students. By the way, all students hate group work, whether it's online or face-to-face, -face, because there's always one child, right, that's participating more than others. But our teachers know that and they have, you know, ways to facilitate that. I just, I think that it really, from a making sure that all students are included, I think that asynchronous is definitely the way to go. I think it really it really helps quite a bit. Now, the downside is maybe you don't get the instantaneous feedback that you would get synchronous, right? If you have a question in a synchronous classroom, you can ask it immediately, you get immediate response. Asynchronous, you might have to be a little bit more patient. Maybe you don't get the answer in, you know, and it maybe it takes an hour or two hours or however. But we do have very, um, strict, I hate to use the word strict, but structured, let's say, requirements for our teachers. All of our teachers are highly um, competent. They're all high school certified, and they get a, a robust teacher training program before they teach with us, graduate level. So they understand what it's like to teach in an online classroom and how to do that best, and they understand that feedback, timely feedback, is, is of critical importance to, you know, helping students feel engaged in the work. And that training is, is part of what we're trying to do now with these schools that are transitioning 
to the online space? How can we help those teachers, you know, understand what's required in uh, in this new medium for many of them? One of the um, biggest issues um, in this chaos uh, is the idea of uh, digital equity. And uh, you know, a number of the districts uh, who I've spoken to, the directors ended up in their cars driving not only devices, but hotspots uh, to children in even districts that you would consider wealthy, right? And they still didn't have that. Uh, and there are a lot of uh, voices out there saying that the remote setup just doesn't work uh, for poor students uh, and for students who, who can't uh, either afford the devices or have access to the internet. How has VHS dealt with the issue of digital equality all these years? I tell you, you are 100% correct. It is a challenge, especially for students in underserved districts or you know very rural districts. It has been a challenge. Uh, so what we try to do whenever possible is we try to partner with um, other groups that can help bridge that gap. For example, uh, currently we are partnering with the National Math and Science Initiative. We are bringing advanced placement courses. We did that this year. We're doing it over the next three years to students specifically in rural areas. We are going to be providing advanced placement courses to students in rural areas at no charge. They're going to get uh, devices. They're going to get support. They're going to get additional uh, training from the National Math and Science Initiative. So this is all at no charge to them uh, and no charge to their district. And it'll be over the next three years. So we're super excited about that because as you said, Kevin, it's, 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 a, it's challenge. I mean, it's it's clearly it's a lot less of a challenge if you're in a a district that has the resources, that has the access, you know, that you can, you know, you have perhaps a laptop at home. Um, but what if you don't? So we try to, as I said, partner with, for example, NIMSI, the National Math and Science Initiative, to help bridge that gap whenever we can. And we're really excited that we can provide that for students because not all students are coming from the same place. And and by the way, and you probably know this, maybe you don't, um, that's one of the reasons VHS Learning was created uh, in 1996 with that grant from the U.S. Department of Education. The question was, how can we provide equitable access to students no matter where they are, no matter what they have, uh, geography, uh, economic circumstance, how can we ensure that they have the same level of opportunity that students in more wealthy districts have. And so that is the that is the why, the reason why we were developed was to be able to provide our catalog, which currently is 220 courses, 24 AP courses, many, many STEM courses, core courses. Those courses, you know, we take for granted that that's perhaps the school that, you know, you went to or I went to or, you know, folks that we know went to, but not everybody has access to those AP courses or computer science or what have you. So that's where we come in. We want to be able to expand the catalog for schools that don't have it. And then we want to partner with organizations to help provide the rest, whether, you know, laptops or, um, you know, Wi-Fi or what have you. So hopefully that answers your question, yeah. but that's, uh, <laughs> that's what we're trying to do to help and have been trying to do for the last uh, almost 25 years now. Right. I mean, I remember um, writing about VHS and the the promise of the kid in rural Idaho who wants to take French lessons and they don't have a French teacher. 
but you could go on a VHS and then you could take your your your, your, your French class and like that was the uh, that that was the promise and now it's it, it's a reality, right? We. Oui. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so the other unfortunate uh, issue, um, which I'll, I'll throw at you, is the idea of the COVID slide and learning loss uh, that occurred last spring, continuing through the summer, and uh, seems like we're staring at uh, a, a further slide uh, this fall. And that has a lot to do with how you assess students remotely. Uh, talk a little bit about VHS's history in assessment and maybe some suggestions about uh, how the districts can uh, grapple with that subject going forward. Well, I think you have, first of all, well, from a VHS learning perspective, we assess students in lots of different ways. Um, we have in our course, you know, structure, that's, that's built right in. So we're not just talking about quizzes and tests, but we're talking about, um, various methods of assessment, more what we consider to be more authentic assessment. Um, maybe they have to do an essay, maybe they have to explain verbally um, how they understand the material, maybe uh, they have a lab or some other kind of method because we're trying to meet students where they are and we know that students have varied, varying styles of learning and varying ways of expressing themselves. So if we try to take that into consideration and not pigeonhole students into just one method of uh, learning or one method of assessment. Um, but having said that, when you're talking about the COVID slide, it's certainly challenging because students are facing so much emotionally and um, you have to think about the whole child, right? And so how can we keep their learning progressing, but at the same time, ensure that they feel supported and, you know, emotionally. And so, we're trying to be flexible whenever possible. If there is something that is, you know, quote unquote, non-essential, we try to eliminate it. We try to look at the key components. What are the key learning objectives for this particular activity? How can we boil things down to the least common denominator in a good way um, and, and ensure that we're covering what we're covering, you know, that needs to be covered, but eliminate some of, of maybe the, extra items that we would have covered had we had more time to try to get right to the to the heart of the matter. I think in terms of uh, how we structure things, we need to focus on structure. Schools need to focus on structure because if we don't have those pieces in place for students, they need continuity, they need consistency, they need something that's going to give them something to latch on to so that they understand what's required. So if we structure our learning in a very clear way for them, what is their schedule? How do they, uh, you know, expect that they can get feedback from students? How, I mean, from teachers rather. How will their work be graded? What are the expectations on their assignments? What is the rubric? You know, daily, weekly, um, what are the deadlines? Structure in this environment that we have that seems structureless, right? <laughs> How can we provide as much structure as we can for the students? At the same time, which seems at odds with having structure, how can we be flexible with them uh, as they begin you know, their new approach to learning, as they're struggling to feel safe, as they're un uncertain about how to ask for help? That is, we have to be uh, clear to them about how, they, how they're gonna get the, that help, how, 
their teacher is going to be accessible to them and the flexibility that we're going to provide. So more than anything, we have to be empathetic. Um, everybody's dealing, as you said, with the same kind of thing. The teachers are just as scared as the students, as, as the administrators. So how can we all have a little empathy, be flexible, but at the same time provide the structure that students need to be most effective in, in their new learning environment? Yeah, I keep coming back to this idea of a virtual gap year uh, where we kind of have, uh, maybe we, we call it learning maintenance, where we just try to continue to, you know, have interesting lessons and have kids interested in the subject matter, but to take the pressure off of, you know, I mean, what does, what does state standards even mean anymore? I mean, they, the, test, right. the testing didn't happen, so how do we know it was a slide? And I, I, right. I see other people talking about adding, just adding another school year, um, and we just kind of go forward and kind of have that social emotional aspect that you're talking about of keeping the community together and, and helping each other through. And then, you know, whenever it's safe to go outside again, then, then we'll, we'll start it back up, right? Yeah, absolutely. And it's funny that, that you should say that because, you know, what is the testing? What What is necessary to know and not know? It's hard to know. We haven't really measured, but I can tell you from our perspective, we've had a lot of interest from families, from parents, especially in the four and eight week um, modules, or four four module and eight week you know courses that we offer over this past summer, um, because parents want their kids to continue to progress, but it's a little less structured, so it's more of an enrichment activity where they feel that they're learning something that's of interest to them. And so we typically offer those in the summer, but we're going to be offering those all year round for schools or for families that want their students to, you know, learn about digital photography or take a course on cryptography or, you know, what have you. Um, something that gets them excited about learning and gets that zest back, but in a, a little bit less of a you know, formal way so that students can enjoy the learning and not feel so stressed out about it. Because, you know, the gap year is certainly an option, right? It's hard to know what's the right thing to do. Um, we don't know what we're facing in the fall. So it will be interesting uh, to find that out. Everybody's trying to find it out together. I have noticed that there are a number of elements of higher education, um, especially when it comes to remote learning, uh, seeping into the to the K-12 uh, scenario. Have you noticed that as well? And if, if so, do you see that as a, as a good thing? Um, specifically, what, do you, what, do you, what elements of higher education do you see seeping into K-12? Well, with the remote, I mean, just uh, my, my own uh, personal <laughs> anecdotal experiences here with my daughter, she came home, she had her Chromebook, her academics uh, pretty much went uninterrupted. Of course, you know, this, the social, the experiential things were, were, were pulled out from underneath her. But, um, you know, the, the Zoom lecture uh, and the, the small team conversations that happen in the, in the higher ed, um, I've seen now, you know, with Zoom calls with kids as young as six or seven having, <laughs> having conversations uh, online about, uh, you know, the school books. Uh, so those sort of elements. Can you talk a little bit about that? Right. Sure. So I guess for us, we're in a little bit of a different boat because I feel like at, at VHS Learning, formerly, you know, the virtualized school, at VHS Learning, it's always been that way. I think we've developed our courses that way from the start. So we've always, uh, actually, it's something we've emphasized and something we hear quite a bit is that students who take our courses 
are prepared for college and for their higher ed experience because it's so similar to what they get when they go to college, right? It's a similar experience. You get a small classroom, like more of a, a team mentality, right? Where you have breakout sessions, you do team discussions, or you're having uh, just different kinds of activities similar to more, to more similar to what you'd have in higher ed versus a straight on, you know, traditional K-12 model where teachers at the front of the class lecturing to students, student taking notes, student taking a quiz, that kind of thing. It's not like that at all. It really is more independent, but not in, but not isolating. Independent in that the student is developing those critical thinking skills and that independence that they're going to need for higher ed. So have I seen a change in general? I think that's probably true. Have I seen a change for us? No, because it's already what we do. Let me ask you kind of an industry-based question. Um, you know, you were mentioning the offerings that you're going to uh, be giving out to uh, students in the fall. Uh, we also watch other technology companies basically open up their doors and offer their products and services for free uh, it, just in order to keep kids connected in the spring. Going forward as an industry, where do you see um, the industry's responsibilities uh, as things continue on? I mean, this is, it's obviously not uh, a temporary situation we're in. Do you, do you see any responsibilities on, on, on that front? I absolutely think that there will be more and more of that for sure. I think you'll see partnership between uh the on you know the education industry not just online but just the education industry and corporate so that and for and foundations and and other you know methods so that those those uh, opportunities can be provided to students at little to no cost absolutely i mean it's something that we try to do as a nonprofit we're always trying to provide those opportunities at the lowest possible cost and as, you know we're operating at break even but certainly you know, with help from those with deep pockets, whether it's foundations, corporations, what have you, I definitely see that uh, becoming more of a reality so that everyone can have completely equitable access, even those who can't, you know, afford to participate. So I always try to wrap up these conversations with a uh, glass half full sort of ending <laughs> in order to, uh, it's all about me actually, just to make me feel better about things. <laughs> Um, but could you talk, um, you know, as a veteran of remote learning, so many people um, didn't like it, <laughs> you know, as it, as it was thrust upon them. Um, and even in the best case scenarios now, I, these techniques and these methods are, are going to be there um, for, for the long term. So maybe give, give those skeptics, give those doubters, or just give those grumpy people um, you know, a, a, a glimmer of hope of how these technologies can actually improve the way we teach and learn. Okay, I agree with you. I think there will always be grumpy folks who maybe have had a bad experience. But as someone who started in an era where we had to educate folks 25 years ago, whether or not online learning could even work, Okay, so we were doing an education campaign then. We're doing a re-education campaign now, uh, helping them to understand what you have experienced might not be the best practice, that there's, there's 
other other opportunities out there. And online learning can take the best parts of learning, can help bring diversity to a classroom that you would never have face-to-face, -face, can bring experts from all over the world together to teach students, can bring uh, opportunity for a course that a student could never take in their traditional classroom, could bring that oppor opportunity to their doorstep, that's huge. That is just, you. there are some things that you could never get face-to-face -face that you can get online. And although we struggle sometimes with the method of delivery, I do think that um, going forward, it's going to open up the world to students in a way that they have perhaps not seen before. So I'm excited about the possibilities. Uh, I think that working together, we definitely can, um, you know, figure out what the best practice is and meet students where they are and hopefully be all the better for it. So awesomely positive glass half full message. I think so. <laughs> I think you did it. You did it. I feel pretty good. Thanks, yeah, Kevin. So, I'm trying. Yeah, well, well, Carol, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate your insights. And I, uh, think the listeners uh, will get a lot out of it terrific thanks thanks for having me i appreciate it and thanks to everybody who is listening and hope you click around and find the next episode of remote possibilities i'm kevin hogan <laughs>